Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. <clears throat> so, um, Lord Vamanadev, Supreme Personality of Godhead in the form of a dwarf Brahmana, has spoken to Bali Maharaj and his guru Sukracharya is right next to Bali Maharaj. And Bhamana Dev is saying, I've come to just beg three steps of land, which you can imagine for a dwarf is not very much land. And Bali Maharaj is like, well, what, what are you talking about? You can take so much more from me. And Bhamana Dev says, no, no, you know, Brahman should be satisfied with whatever, uh, you know, comes easily. <clears throat> and Sukracharya is next. Next to Bali Maharaj, thinking this, there's something wrong here. This is Lord Vishnu, and he's going to cheat you out of everything, Bali Maharaj. And, and therefore, um, Sukracharya was trying to forbade him from doing this, primarily because he was looking out for number one. He's looking out for himself because if, if you know, <laughs> if you're the guru of a rich person and the rich person loses everything, well, you don't get anything from that <laughs> disciple anymore. So there was some, uh, yeah, some personal interest there. So uh, Sukracharya has forbade him. And now we're going to hear at the very beginning of chapter 20 of Canto 8, Bali Maharaj. Uh, it's called Bali Maharaj Surrenders the Universe, which kind of gives away the plot a little bit. <clears throat> so let us begin. Um, I can sometimes share my screen if that helps, and you can see it. <clears throat> Sri Sukadev Goswami said, O King Parikshit, when Bali Maharaj was thus advised by his spiritual master, Sukracharya, his family priest, he remained silent for some time. And, and then, after full deliberation, he replied to his spiritual master as follows. So that that's that's a um, important point. I'm trying to remember where, uh, when, where, which class. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, that, you know, there's a stimulus and then there's a response. And often, especially when we're affected by the modes of passion or ignorance, we uh, have a knee-jerk reaction which, like I said, is often influenced by the modes of material nature. So here we see Bali Maharaj, he, he, he didn't react right away. He deliberated. <clears throat> Deliberating on something is more in the mode of goodness. Um, it doesn't mean there's non-action, but it means that the action is performed after some consideration. Um, and that is easier said than done. I mean, in the world, but also easier said than done in, in the modern, in the times that we live in, because these things, for example, um, you know, and, and technology in general and social media, they're very, very rajarsic. They're very, very mode of passion-ish. And they're very, very immediate gratification-ish. And so to slow down 
<laughs> to slow down and welcome Adam at 4.36 in the morning in Hawaii. Um, good morning, good morning. Um, <clears throat> it is not an easy thing to do. It takes real determination to not get sucked into the, uh, the crazy culture that we live in. You know, you read, I mean, for, I, I was going to say you'd read a book like Walden Pond, but even read a book <laughs> is a lot of people are finding challenging these days. They're so used to just, you know, a quick uh, Instagram thing or a very, very quick TikTok video or something. And they're just, the mind is so geared towards the mode of passion and, and, and the frenzied world. So, and then you read something like, you know, Walden Pond and you see, was that Thoreau or was that Emerson? I get them mixed up sometimes. Anyone remember? I'm not sure. Literature is not my strong suit. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but you know, it was very contemplative or what to speak of the sages um, in bygone days who would, you know, find a cave or, um, or, you know, go into the Himalayas. <clears throat> it, it, it's, uh, it's a very different world today. I even remember, um, and this was like 1977, I went uh, for my, my university, um, we did the New England Literature Program. We went up to um, Lake Winnipesaukee in New, in New Hampshire and studied there for six weeks, I think. And each of us one day did, did a, day of, a day and night of seclusion. It was a lot easier to do in 1977. <laughs> there was no, you know, I probably didn't use a phone for those six weeks. I probably and I didn't read a newspaper. And, you know, but and so that was, and it was very, it was very, very nice. So if we can find some time, at least some time to just unplug it can, I'm saying this, of course, as I'm speaking on Zoom, <laughs> you know, so it's a little uh, counterintuitive at best. <clears throat> so let's look at this, but Bali Maharaj, he, but the point is he was contemplative. Um, and uh, Prabhupada writes, he deliberated on this point. Should he accept the advice of his spiritual master and should he independently do everything to please the Supreme Personality of Godhead? He took some time. Therefore, it is said, Tushnim Bhutva Shanam Rajan Rajan Uvacha Vadito Gurun. After deliberating on this point, he decided that Lord Vishnu should be pleased in all circumstances, even at the risk of ignoring the Guru's advice to the contrary. And then this uh, important verse. Um, <clears throat> uh, oops, let me add somebody here. Uh, that says, as a scholarly Brahmana, expert in all subjects of Vedic knowledge, is unfit to become a spiritual master without being a Vaishnava, meaning without practicing bhakti. But if a person born in a family of a lower caste, you know, any situation in the world, is a Vaishnava, he, 
or she can become a spiritual master. So even though, so Sukracharya was this famous guru, but he was more a ritualistic guru for helping to perform different rituals in order to get material happiness. And what uh, Bali Maharaj, even though he was born in a family of of, of a famous family of non-devotees, he was a great devotee. And therefore he was willing to sacrifice everything for the satisfaction of Krishna in the form of Vamanadev. So, so fear not if you say, oh my God, I wasn't born in India. I wasn't born in a Brahmin family. Uh, my parents were not, a, you know, I ate meat until, you know, five minutes ago or, you know, whatever, you know. Uh, that's, it's, uh, you know, forget the past that sleeps, Bhaktivinoda Thakur says. Um, and just it, one place Prabhupada says, so from the very beginning of life, or from when one understands its urgency, one should take to bhakti. So um, fear not if we don't have, you know, uh, that kind, you know, we don't know Sanskrit and we don't, then we're not perfect in this and that. Um, <clears throat> so comments, questions on this first verse? That's quite relieving to, to hear these words. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah, because you can... The the desert can, as they say. Yeah, Uh, I remember one time, like my first visit to India, 1978, and I was doing Purikram, which means walking around Vrindavan. Um, And this one uh, local sadhu came to me and said, speak some Bhagavatam verse you know he wanted me to say, and i was i was like a brand new devotee and i said something that i knew in from bhagavad gita and he said no not gita bhagavatam uh and i felt really kind of lousy that i couldn't you know recite one and he was kind of like uh, useless you know but um i did actually know a verse but the afterwards i was kicking myself oh i should have said that you know? <laughs> yeah um, but the reality is that Krishna, uh, just like the verse Patram Pushpam Falam Twayam, Yome Bhakti Prayachati, Tadaham Bhakti Paritam, Asnami Prayatapmana, where he says, you, If you offer me a leaf, a flower, fruit, or water, I will accept it. And he used the word bhakti in that verse twice. So it's the devotion uh, that counts. Yes, it is relieving, isn't it? And at the same time, that means we have to work on our devotion. <laughs> yeah. Where, where was that verse from? Which one? The one you just said? Oh, chapter 9, verse 26 of the Bhagavad Gita. It says, Krishna says, if one offers me a leaf, a flower, fruit, or water with devotion, I will accept it. Um, so that, if you remember, I, I think I mentioned this, when this devotee was passing away, he passed away now go, uh, a few weeks ago, Gopal Chandra Prabhu. Um, and when we were asking for advice on how to speak with him, 
one uh, senior devotee said, quote that verse and tell them, look, Krishna only asked for a leaf, a flower, a fruit, or water, and look at all the service you've done for him. There's nothing to lament. You did so much more than what Krishna asked for. <laughs> try to, you know, because lots of times we lament when we're near in, on our deathbed. I could have done better. I should have. I would have. And uh, this devotee suggested that we make sure that doesn't get into that kind of lamentation mode. And anything else on this verse? Okay. Well, then we can go into the verse number two. Bali Maharaj said, as you have, so he's speaking to his guru, Sukracharya, who's not such a great guru. As you have already stated, the principle of religion does not hinder one's economic development, sense gratification, fame, and means of livelihood. Uh, 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 wait, wait. As you have already said, the principles of religion that does not hinder one's economic development, sense gratification, fame, and means of livelihood is the real occupational duty of the householder. I also think that this religious principle is correct. So he's trying to weigh everything, what, what, what his guru had told him, what he knows is right. right? Prabhupada writes, if a religious principle does not affect one's material condition, it is to be accepted. At the present time in this age of Kali, this idea is extremely prominent. No one is prepared to accept any religious principle if it hampers material prosperity. Many people are like that, isn't it? They'll accept religion to the extent that it helps them in this world. Um, and we, we know that there's some um, churches, for example, that are called prosperity churches, right? Where the, there, if you, they, if you, if you worship there, there's a promise of, of prosperity in this world. Sukracharya, being a person of this material world, did not know the principles of a devotee. A devotee is determined to serve the supreme personality of Godhead to his full satisfaction. Anything that hampers such determination should be rejected. This is the principle of bhakti. Anakul yasya sankalpa, pratikul yasya varjanam. To perform devotional service, one must accept only that which is favorable and reject that which is unfavorable. So that, <laughs> that is one of our tests. It's not easy, right, to uh, accept things that are favorable to devotional service and reject things that are unfavorable. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> because I think most of us, we know what is favorable, we know what is unfavorable, and still we have some inclination to the unfavorable. <laughs> right? So this is, you know, this is what we, this is uh, what we need to work on. Because mm -hmm. that verse says, that's one of the six symptoms of surrender to Krishna. Um, to accept things favorable, to reject things unfavorable. Then to think of Krishna as my only maintainer, to think of Krishna as my only uh, protector, to be truly humble, and ultimately to be a soul surrendered to him. 
those are the six symptoms of surrender, or, or in Sanskrit, sharanagati. Mm. So Sukracharya was accepting and rejecting, not based on bhakti, but based on his own, you know, what's in it for me. His own, what is that? With him, what's in it for me? Um, so that's, that's, and you could say in one sense, that is the process of becoming a devotee, going from self-centeredness to God-centeredness, going from what pleases me to what pleases Krishna. And that is a path, not, you know, that is a path, as we like to say, that is a <laughs> dimmer, not a light switch. You don't just wake up one morning and all of a sudden everything's for Krishna. It's, it's a gradual process of, uh, of developing trust in Krishna, developing a taste for bhakti, uh, associating with those who have a higher taste than us and a higher devotion than us. And all of these help uh, the lotus of our heart open more wide. Okay. Anything on these points? Did you just say developing a trust for bhakti or Krishna? Both. Okay. Both, I think. Yeah. I did say Krishna. Um, but <clears throat> bhakti is the path to Krishna. So when you have trust in Krishna, you also trust the path that he has recommended for getting to him. Right? They kind of go hand in hand. You know, have you ever hiked and you stop seeing those um, <laughs> those spray painted blue or whatever color they are markings on the trees? And you think, oh, my God, where am I? Yes. Right. Yes. So. Um, so when we see those, we have faith that, OK, I'm on the path. Right. So Krishna hasn't made and Lord Chaitanya have not made bhakti a secret. They've chalked out the path for us. And I think we know intuitively without, without not seeing the uh, spray painted uh, colors um, when we're on the path and when we're not on the path. Also, I think Krishna reveals it to us in our heart. We, we feel satisfaction when we are on the path and we feel dissatisfaction. We feel that when we're, generally devotees feel that when they're performing bhakti, that's the most life-giving activity for them and when they're doing things that are not helpful for bhakti they they feel often feel that those are the most life taking away now someone might argue you know a, a person who doesn't have uh any trust in krishna might argue well that's just your mind and the guilt trip that the religion plays on you right right wouldn't wouldn't someone maybe say that mm -hmm. yeah you know um that's not my experience, my lived experience, as, as they say. My, my experience is more what I said earlier. I don't think it's just because I'm supposed to have a guilt trip because someone told me to be guilty about doing things. I actually feel some real tushti pushti shudapaya, some real satisfaction. Tushti pushti uh, means um, happiness 
and shudapaya means uh, relief from material desires when, when I'm following those marks on the path. <laughs> yeah. I have, a, I have a question about this passage. Um, some of, I don't know if it's just the language or um, I'm not gathering something. It, it seems like it's almost saying, um, look, if, you, if you're a householder, be a householder. Like acknowledge that there's a material aspect to that, right? Um, in other words, it almost seems to me, unless I'm, I'm misunderstanding, that it's a green light to sort of, I mean, obviously with, with limitation, you know, not just a while, but to accept that as a householder, you know, there are these material aspects and to, you know, uh, seek sense gratification, economic development, et cetera. Am, am I missing that? Is, is the point kind of to say that, you know, if you're a householder, you don't need to, no pride yourself of those things because then no it, it seems to say that but then it says at the present time in this age of Kali, this idea is extremely prominent no one is prepared to accept any religious principle if it hampers material prosperity it's right it's, like that conclusion doesn't seem to follow to me from what was right so what Prabhupada is doing here and it takes a little you know getting used to his writing sometimes he's he's quoting as is Bali Maharaj Sukracharya, and he's quoting their um, incorrect worldview. Mm. That's what he's doing there. Sukracharya stressed in, in right at the top. Sukracharya stressed that one's material means of livelihood and one's material reputation, sense gratification, and economic development must continue properly. He okay, okay, yeah. Now, having said that. Um, uh yes okay, so the point here is that he's wrong yes exactly okay all right yes 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 now that doesn't mean that a householder should try to be a sannyasi uh-huh. a householder should have affection for their children affection for their wife but they should just um in addition to all that or, or husband in addition to that have um well, all those relationships be also uh, connected with Krishna. Okay. Anything else on this? Okay, so then we're going up to verse four. I am the grandson of Maharaj Prahlad. How can I withdraw my promise because of greed for money when I have already said that I shall give this land? How can I behave like an ordinary cheater, especially towards a Brahmana? So he's saying, I come from this, you know, Maharaj Balad is this great, great devotee. I'm, I'm, how could I, you know, I have to follow my previous, um, well, my previous acharyas, or in this case, even my previous seminal line. There is nothing more sinful than untruthfulness. Because of this, Mother Earth once said, I can bear anything except a person who is a liar. Wow. Purport. On the surface of the earth, there are many great mountains and oceans that are very heavy, and Mother Earth has no difficulty carrying them. But she feels very overburdened when she carries even one person who is a liar. It is said that in Kali Yuga, lying is a common affair. Mayaiva Vyavaharike. 
Even in the most common dealings, people are accustomed to speaking so many lies. No one is free from sinful reactions of speaking lies. Under the circumstances, one can just imagine how this has overburdened the earth and, in, and indeed the entire universe. So it is um, important to be truthful. And truthful has a number of, you know, of course, telling the truth. It also means in an introspective sense, being truthful with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And ultimately the truth that we are servants of Krishna as the ultimate truth. Jivera swarupa hoya krishna now, yes, so lying, at, as, so being truthful in general is, the, uh, is, is prescribed for all people. There may be some exceptions to that, right? The example is given in the scriptures of uh, the person uh, is running away from someone who's trying to kill him, and he hides behind some bush. And this saintly person sees the whole scene. And so when the murderers come, they ask him, where is he? And he points right to the bush. And that's an example where telling the truth is not necessarily the best thing to do. (laughs) Then the the murderers killed him. As a general rule, uh, elsewhere it says, being straightforward in one's dealings is a sign of a devotee. So... Um, excuse me Um, yeah Uh, and and you could imagine the burden on the earth today where there is so uh, you know lying has become an Olympic sport right and 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 I you know I I mean it's lying or um Lying through omission, right, is another thing. Politicians are very good at that. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, the media. Yeah, the media. Yeah, also, yes. Yeah. You know, any, not that, not that they're lying, but just the, the, you know, communications is also so hard in Kali Yuga. And anytime that I've seen a newspaper article about something that I'm personally involved in, I don't think I've ever found one that was completely accurate. <laughs> didn't know the whole story. So if we are habituated, you know, or if I go to somebody's house for supper, for dinner, and one of the uh, vegetable preparations is really burnt, it's very likely when they say, oh, how did you like the broccoli? And I go, oh, very nice. (laughs) Right? Right. I don't think I would say it's terribly burnt. It tastes like charcoal. You know, I don't know if I would say that. Still, as a general rule, we, we tell the truth. <laughs> yeah. I know people, maybe we all know people who are just totally straightforward and pretty much regardless. And they sometimes do... Um, I mean, I appreciate them. I do appreciate them. And at the same time, they do kind of uh, get in trouble sometimes. (laughs) 
See, the other thing is um, you can avoid telling a lie by just not speaking. Right? Like at work, uh, because of the nature of my job, uh, if somebody says, well, did so-and-so come to see you? And I just say, I cannot confirm nor deny that. And that's the truth. Which the, second, uh, which the second I hear that in the in the IC, I'm like, okay, that was a yes. <laughs> Some people do think like, but that's and that's actually the truth. In my job, I'm not allowed to. Maybe I should just tell them I'm not allowed to tell you that. Yeah. So, uh, thoughts, questions, comments on telling the truth. So here, Bali Maharaj is saying. I am not going to take back, go back on my word. Right? I'm not going to go, let's say, go back on my word. Hmm. Yep. Okay, then we'll move on. Now we're going up to text 14, so we'll be reading a few verses here. Verse number five. I do not fear hell, poverty, an ocean of distress, fall down from my position, or even death itself, as much as I fear cheating a Brahmana. Note, my Lord, you can also see that all the material opulences of this world are certainly separated from their possessor at death. Therefore, if the Brahmana, Vamana Dev, is not satisfied with whatever gifts I, one has given, why not please him with the riches one is destined to lose at death? <laughs> That's a very philosophical approach, right? I'm going to die. So, um, you know, I have to give up. Oh, thank you, uh, Guru Das, put in the chat. Satyam bruyat priyam bruyat. Can you just hear? Satyam bruyat priyam bruyat means uh, telling the truth when it's palatable. Um, so, either I give everything now and then i get the you know i have great reputation and i and and i please god or i give only something and that's not enough and i and i get curtain and therefore i went back on my word or i give everything and i'm going to lose it anyway at the time of death so why not dadichi CB and many other great personalities were willing to sacrifice even their lives for the benefit of people in general. This is the evidence of history. So why not give up this insignificant land? What is, what is the serious consideration against it? And this insignificant serious, uh, condition of land was all the land. O best of the Brahmanas, certainly the great demoniac kings who were never reluctant to fight uh, enjoyed this world, but in due course of time, everything they had was taken away, except their reputation, by which they continue to exist. In other words, one should try to achieve a good reputation instead of anything else. So for him, honor was the most important thing. O best of the Brahmanas, many men have laid down their lives on the battlefield, being unaware, unafraid of fighting. But rarely has one gotten the chance to give his accumulated wealth faithfully to a saintly person who creates holy places. So this is a great opportunity. Just like in Kshatriyas, they love the opportunity to fight. 
So also Chetrias loved the opportunity to give in charity. So this was, you know, he's not going to pass up this opportunity. By giving charity, a benevolent and merciful person undoubtedly becomes even more auspicious, especially when he gives charity to a person like your good self. So he's kind of flattering him at the same time telling him, I'm not going to follow your instruction. He's also saying, oh, yes, but people get to someone like you. Think of the benefit. Under the circumstances, I must give this little brahmachari whatever charity he wants from me. Oh, great sage, great saintly persons like you being completely aware of the Vedic principles for performing ritualistic ceremonies and yajnas, which means sacrifices. Worship Lord Vishnu in all circumstances. Therefore, whether that same Lord Vishnu has come here to give me all benedictions or to punish me as an enemy, I must carry out his order and give him the requested track of land without hesitation. Although he is Vishnu himself, out of fear, he has covered himself in the form of a Brahmana to come to me begging, <laughs> out of fear. Under the circumstances, because he has assumed the form of a Brahmana, even if he irreligiously arrests me or even kills me, I shall not retaliate, although he is my enemy. So because he was born in a demon family, he's still thinking he's calling him his enemy, although actually he's a great devotee. It's a little hard to appreciate that point. Born in a demoniac family, associating with demons, but actually a great devotee. If this Brahmana really is Lord Vishnu, who is worshipped by Vedic hymns, he would never give up his widespread reputation. Either he would lie down, having been killed by me, or he would kill me in a fight. Sukadeva Goswami continued, thereafter, the spiritual master, Sukracharya, being inspired, now this is an important point, by the Supreme Lord, cursed his exalted disciple, Bali Maharaj, who was so magnanimous and fixed in truthfulness that instead of respecting his spiritual master's instructions, he wanted to disobey it. Prabhupada writes, the difference between the behavior of Bali Maharaj and that of his spiritual master, Sukracharya, was that Bali Maharaj had already developed love of Godhead, where Sukracharya, being merely a priest of routine rituals, had not. Thus, Sukracharya was never inspired by the Supreme Personality of Godhead to develop in devotional service. As stated in Bhagavad Gita, Tesham Satata Yuktanam Bajatam Priti Purvakam Tadami Buddhi Yogam Tam Yenamam Upiantite. To those who are constantly devoted to serving, we would love. I give the understanding by which they can come to me. Devotees who actually engage in devotional service with faith and love are inspired by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Vaishnavas are never concerned with ritualistic smarta brahmanas. Smarta brahmanas means brahmins who are engaged, uh, interested only in um, rituals. So this is... Uh, he's decided to disobey the orders of his guru because his guru is not a devotee. Hmm. Gurudas puts in the chat, King Yudhisthira's example was separate from Satyam Bhuryat. If you like, you can relate the story of King Yudhisthira having to see hell because he was too attached to telling the truth, even while Krishna asked him to lie. Yes, so that's why we just say generally we tell the truth. 
you know, except when someone asks you, what did you think of the burnt vegetables? <laughs> so, um, but the point here, even so, this is how it works. So you can say, well, how, how wait a second. Krishna as inspired Sukracharya to curse Bali Maharaj and to not be a devotee. Well, that was Sukracharya's desire and Krishna fulfills the desires of everyone. And of course, because Krishna was directly involved in this or Vamanadev, um, there's going to be a great ending for everyone. Okay, any questions, comments, thoughts so far? He fulfills the desires even for someone who's not a devotee. Yeah, he fulfills their material desires, right? You know, desires and deserve, you know, in other words, you may desire to have be, be a billionaire tomorrow, but you may not have the karma for that, you know, what you deserve. But yes, we, you know, that he's fulfilling everyone's desires one way or another even reluctantly, and not directly as Krishna, but, you know, through his agents. Yeah. Gurudas Prabhu? Give your hand up. Hare Krishna, yeah. Um, my obeisance is to all the devotees. Um, I'm, I'm just amazed in reading this again with your highlights and the highlights of the purports that, um, you know, Shukracharya is described as knowing this is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, just as Bali Maharaj knows that is the Supreme Personality. But look how different their reactions are. They're, look how different their actions. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that goes to show uh, that even having knowledge like that, um, you can still... Um, not act like a non-devote, you know, not in a devotional way. It just goes to show the the agency or free will of bhakti that it's really, you know, up to us whether we want to offer it or not. Yeah. Thank you. Anything else? Can I ask a question? Sure. You know, you mentioned you may not have the karma to be a billionaire, etc. Um, you would agree, though, that just because someone has a higher low agency in this life doesn't necessarily mean that that's a reflection of their karma, correct? So not only not only is there the element of, yeah, that your good and bad deeds playing out through karma, but I've also understood that, you know, Krishna also puts you in a place to, you know, can progress or maybe to learn. So for instance, someone could be poor, but actually have very good karma, whereas someone could be sure. born to like extreme opulence, but actually have bad karma. Uh, well, you know, well, uh, you, you brought up some really powerful points there. Uh, because the, the problem there is, is like you end up judging everyone who's at, at a bad station in life. And I remember very early on studying, reading somewhere, I can't remember where, that like Krishna says, karma is so complex and beyond human intellectual ability to understand, uh, you know. 
It is tricky. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so let's let's look at that. Um, for a devotee, now this is remember that you know we you know there's different levels of uh, you know so Sukracharya is not a devotee. He is talking about you know the Vedic system of sacrifice to get material desires fulfilled and things like that. But interestingly, for a devotee, um, good and bad karma are two sides of the same coin. And a devotee wants to rid themselves of all karma and go back to Krishna. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, so if we say um, being very rich is a good karma, well, that can, as we know, that can be a distraction. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. um, I haven't really taken the time to look at it, but from what I understand, many people who win the lottery suffer a lot afterwards. Yes. Right? Yeah. And as much as we love to learn about the lives of the rich and famous, they often suffer as much, if not more, than we do. Well, I know in the field of psychology, it's, it's like widely accepted, pretty much considered, you know, proven fact that above a certain level of wealth, there, you know, there's really no evidence that people are have higher happiness or whatever That's in right. other words once a certain once a certain level of kind of like meat sort of essential needs are, are taken care of there's very little additional impacts to uh to one's happening well from a from a pure from the pure standpoint of psychology absolutely <laughs> absolutely uh <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I think I mentioned uh, I got in a car, car accident last week and presently I don't have a car. And so um, one devotee uh, lent me his car. And, you know, mine was a 2005 Prius and his is a Mercedes Benz. And so I, I, I it's not that I'm unhappy, I, but I'm so careful about that car where I park it. Yeah. And, and make sure I, you know, because, you know, it's, uh, you know, and imagine, you know, if somebody had, you know, keyed my, you know, key, when you take a key and you go across the, you yeah someone had keyed my Prius, it would be like, okay, well, that's not very cool. But if someone had done that to this, this Mercedes, I would be, oh my God, what am I going to tell this devotee? Oh my God. You know, so. Well, I, I've met a lot of people who. <laughs> Teslas, right? The, the the real fancy one, and it's like it never leaves their garage. And like a right. lot of guys, and the wives kind of make fun of them because it's just they, you know, they're so <laughs> obsessed with it that they don't want to, you know, right. bring it out into the elements. <laughs> so I think there's a lot to be said for um, um, what you just said, you know. But our but but a devotee's point of view, at least for their own viewpoint, is. Um, you know, uh, there's a verse in the Chaitanya Charitamrita that um, happiness and distress are both kind of mental concoctions. Uh, they're both, but because they don't, because they don't ultimately affect or are connected with the soul, and therefore real reality is is neither uh, is is transcending um, 
the concern over material happiness and distress and instead focusing on Krishna's pleasure. Again, easier said than done, but that is uh, the devotee's viewpoint. I also, I also remember, you know, in stories where Krishna kind of lets mean-spirited people revel for a while. Yes. Uh, I think in Kali Yuga, you see this a lot, you know. Um, it's, there's so many examples of people everyone knows are pretty awful, and yet they just seem to flourish. Uh, yeah, it's like when you jump out of a window, you go up for a few a second before you go down. You know, I mean, look at look at Hitler, right? I mean, if we accept the story that he died in the bunker by suicide with his wife, you know, after being this leader of millions of people and so much adoration, look how it ends. Well, some people probably make it through the entirety of this life, uh, you know, but you know. But they still have to die. Yeah, they got to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, when you, and the more you are attached to things in this world, the more painful the death is. Because it's hard to, uh, this other, when, when that devotee was dying and we were getting some advice from other devotees, this one, uh, one set of advice is that uh, we were trying to figure out how much morphine to give and, you know, keep somebody conscious, but not in too much pain and things like that. And they were, this devotee was saying, actually, as, mu- as painful as the time of death is physically, the mental pain is greater. Because you're losing everything you thought was reality. Right? Um, including this, was, the- this was them talking about their experience at that time. Is that what you're... Well, this was uh, a side conversation. We didn't mention this, you know. But just just to be aware, and so uh, the purport of that, was, in terms of our serving this devotee, was to, um, uh, as we said before, not worry so much about you know, don't lament about the past. You've done so much service for Krishna, and and don't be fearful. You're in Krishna's hands. Don't don't be fearful about you know what's next. Just focus on the here and now and focus on Krishna. Yeah. And I think this devotee was quite successful at that. Um, and he had a lot of good fortune. Uh, Rod, Rod Swami went to see him. Um, Janavi Harrison sang for him. Raghunath was going to see him every day. He was very fortunate. Yeah. Anything else? And that advice I feel like I could use now. Of course. <laughs> Absolutely, Dana. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Dana, I, you know, so when we're going through difficulties in life, we can think, oh, Krishna, I'm burning up my bad karma. Thank you so much. And the other thing is when things go great, we say, okay, well, I'm burning up my good karma also, you know, so-called mm-hmm. great. But we want to become a karma without any material karma. Yes, Prabhu, Sheshadri Prabhu. Prabhu, I uh, just want to get a clarification or a comment oh, to understand. I didn't, I, 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 yeah, sorry, it's, uh, it's actually go public. So, uh, Prabhu, that uh, looks based upon his conversations, he's like a good, elevated, knowledgeable, conscious person. Um, because he was not, 
bali bali maharaj yeah very elevated uh, mm-hmm. but like uh, uh, the only piece missing is that like he he does not have any surrendering uh, attitude that's why he was categorized as a demon maybe because of the leela he become surrendered and then that's how krishna is teaching us a lesson well he was born in a family of demons but i don't think he was ever a demon per se he was more like his grandfather pilad maharaj yes and uh, you know, i was wondering uh he's such a nice person prahlad maharaj is already in his clan and he knows sukracharya is his uh his spiritual master is the uh spiritual master for the sukra uh, for the hiranyakashipu also so <laughs> right. he, he, you know he he knows everything then like you know i was just wondering how come he become into demonic category because he's in the clan of uh, bali maharaj he already got the boon for seven generations yeah. need to be liberated and all the like all that stuff so only thing is he's not a devotee is that what i'm missing that uh, oh, he he's is, not a devotee he is a devotee he just uh, it's it's just a as far as i can understand it's a um it's just you know the way the family that people were born in in bygone days had was a, a very very big consideration it's still a consideration today but nothing compared to in the past and especially in certain like in america the whole anyone can become the president of the united states right uh right even a person who's you know father is from kenya and uh being brought up by a single mother and a grandmother right uh, and 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 has a uh uh a african american body right you know a president obama really showed that right anyone or even president reagan he was a he was a a b rate uh actor you know you know at least you could imagine that you know the the bushes they were kind of born in an aristocratic family and in a family of politicians or the kennedys but like you know uh ronald reagan was you know he was an actor so in america that there is that kind of mood that anyone can become anything now of course we know that that there's a, there is some other factors involved in, in that um so it was it was it was an it was a big thing that he was in one sense it glorifies bali maharaj he was born in a in the family of you know hiranyaksha and hiranyakashipu etc but um he became uh you know he was this great devotee that's all i can understand from your question so it's just a glorification like a prahlad maharaj got glorified in a different way and bali maharaj is getting glorified yeah. in a different way yes okay yeah um thank you yeah birth is an inter- there's uh let me see if i can find it really quickly uh the reason i'm asking is like uh, uh, prahlad maharaj is always glorifying he's always talking pure devotional service uh, and uh, from the day one like because of narada muni's influence uh, where he's just knowledgeable he understands soul and he understands supreme lord he understands good dharma everything but that portion is missing where like glorification of the lord maybe in the end he's talking about him yeah now he, he he but you know he may not be but look at he's passing the test of the lord the lord has come in the form of bali maharaj uh and form of bamana dev and he passes that test so i just wanted to uh 
this is just something that came to my mind. This was that Prabhupada was speaking on uh, his Guru Maharaj's birthday, his Vyasa Puja day, it's called. And he says, um, fortunately, that year was my birth year. And by Krishna's range, we came in contact. But this is the point. I was born in a different family. My Guru Maharaj was born in a different family. Who knew that I would come to his protection? Who knew that I would come to in America? Who knew that you American boys and girls, would, uh, boys it says here, will come to me? These are all Krishna's arrangement. We cannot understand how things are taking place. It's very touching when you hear this, his voice. He's, he's, almost, he's almost crying when he's saying this, um, that Krishna had made these amazing arrangements for him. Because as we know, Prabhupada came with no money, two heart attacks on a steamship, you know, but he was seeing it all as Krishna's arrangement. Okay, so let us... Or I would like to say... Oh, yes, please, go ahead, Prabhu. You know, uh, so, so somebody like Bali Maharaj, he's getting these influences, both materialistic and spiritual experiences, I mean, uh, uh, in, in his life. Like, you know, he's being influenced from both hands. And sort of like now with the appearance of Mamandev, the story reaches a climax. Yes. And and he he's making that decision to say, okay, you know, Lord Vishnu is here for, and I will surrender everything. Yeah. So, I, mean, I don't know how to say it, but uh, basically it looks like in his life, he had both uh, influences mm -hmm. and the story now reaches the climax and he chooses. So maybe there's an instruction there for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. in our daily lives, we can see that, I think you've also mentioned it many times, uh, we get pulled in material directions or spiritual directions and, you know, uh, and, yeah, points finally comes. I think earlier in the lecture, you also mentioned that you, how did you say it? I, I can't remember now, that uh, you reach a point where you say, okay, I'm going towards Krishna completely now. <laughs> Forget about everything else. Yeah. And he's, he did that, right? He, he, he didn't just lose a Prius or a Mercedes Benz. Mm -hmm. He lost his, um, his power over the entire universe. <laughs> yeah. So he really, you know, so it's a, quite a, a lesson for us, mm -hmm. isn't it? We don't have that much to lose. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the real thing is that when you surrender to Krishna, you gain everything. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so we're going up to verse 22. Let me go back to where I was. Text 15. Shall I share my screen? That Maybe that's helpful. Although you have no knowledge. Okay, oh, so wait. This is Sukracharya speaking, right? Yes. Yes. Although you have no knowledge, you have become a so-called learned person. And therefore, you dare be so impudent as to disobey my order. Because of disobeying me, you shall very soon be bereft of all your opulence. Sukadeva Goswami continued, even after being cursed in this way by his own spiritual master, Bali Maharaj, being a great personality of Godhead, of being a great personality, never deviated from his determination. Therefore, according to custom, he first offered 
water to Vamanadev and then offered him the gift of land he had promised. He was fixed. Um, Bali Maharaj's wife, known as Vinyavali, who was decorated with a necklace of pearls, immediately came and had a large golden water pot brought there, full of water with which to worship the Lord by washing his feet. Bali Maharaj, the worshiper of Lord Dhamanadev, jubilantly washed the Lord's lotus feet and then took the water on his head, for that water delivers the entire universe. At that time, the residents of the higher planetary systems, namely the demigods, the Gandharvas, the Vidyadharas, the Siddhas, and Charanas, all became very pleased by Balimara's simple, non-duplicitous act. They praised his qualities and showered him with millions of flowers. So just, you know, just this simplicity. I made a promise, I keep it. Bus. The Gandharvas, the Kimpurushas, and the Kinaras sounded thousands and thousands of kettle drums and trumpets again and again, and they sang in great tribulation, declaring, How exalted a person is Bali Maharaj, and what a difficult task he has performed. Even though he knew that Lord Vishnu was on the side of his enemies, he nonetheless gave the Lord the entire three worlds in charity. So remember, right? You have to remember the stories that we've not the past time we studied before. There was a churning of the ocean of milk, and there was, you know, the uh, Mohini Murti, and then, and then losing the um, heavenly planets, uh, and Indra and, and the demigods going into exile, and then uh, a, a Ditti performing the sacrifice um, to, uh, you know, to for her sons to again take over the heavenly planets, and then. Lord Vamanadev coming to fulfill that. So there's a whole you know, story behind this. Text 21. The unlimited Supreme Personality of Godhead, who has assumed the form of Vamana, then began increasing in size, acting in terms of the material energy until everything in the universe was within his body, including the earth, the planetary systems, the sky, the directions, the various holes in the universe, the seas, the oceans, the birds, beasts, human beings, the demigods, and the great saintly persons. Bali Maharaj, although, uh, I'm sorry, along with all the priests, acharyas, and members of the assembly, observed the Supreme Personality of Godhead's universal body, which was full of six opulences. That body contained everything within the universe including all the gross material elements, the senses, the sense objects, the mind, intelligence, and ego, the various kinds of living entities and the actions and reactions of the three modes of nature. Purport. In Bhagavad Gita, the Supreme Personality of God, it says, Aham sarvasya pravavo matas sarvam pravartate. Krishna is the origin of everything. Vasudeva sarvam iti. Krishna is everything. Matstani sarvabhutani na chaham te Everything rests in the body of the Lord, yet the Lord is not everywhere. Mayavadi philosophers think that since the Supreme Personality of God of the Absolute Truth has become everything, he has no separate existence. Their philosophy is called Advaitavad. Actually, however, their philosophy is not correct. Here, Bali Maharaj was the seer of the Personality of God's universal body, and the body 
and that body was that which was seen. Thus, there is Dvaitavadi. There are always two entities, the seer and the seen. The seer is a part of the whole, but he is not equal to the whole. The part of the whole, the seer, is also one with the whole, but since he is but a part, he cannot be the complete whole at any time. <laughs> Did you get that one? That, that sounds tricky. This achintya veda, veda, simultaneously one and oneness and difference, is the perfect philosophy propounded by Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So it's not everything is one. We don't merge into God. There's two. There's the worshiper and the worshipped. There's the lover and the loved. Right? Um, so it's inconceivably, simul- inconceivably, simultaneously, we are one with God in the sense that we come from him. And we're separate from God because we're an individual soul. So, and we as focus especially on the separate in this sense that we are we trying to develop our love for Krishna and love means two. You can't, you know, love is not one. There was that song, one is the loneliest number. Right? Um, so we want to maintain our individuality because with that individuality, we can choose to love Krishna. So Advaita Vad is the Vad or the philosophy of Advaita that everything is one. And Dvaita Vad, without the A preface, is our philosophy of everything. You know, there's the lover and the beloved. Uh, and is this easy to understand? Uh, you know, look at the sentence. A part of the whole, the seer, that's us is also one with the whole. Hmm. But since he is but a part, he cannot be the complete whole at any time. <laughs> any questions? About donuts. <laughs> what was that? I, you can repeat that? I think about a donut. <laughs> a donut. Okay. That's because you're a chef. Yeah. So what about the donut? Let me understand. Your... It. it could be, you know, just there's a there's a the donut hole as well. Oh, okay. Well. Yeah, that's interesting. I think of okay, let's try to follow that analogy. So you know, um sometimes uh they also sell the donut holes, right? Mm-hmm. So if the donut hole was put back in the middle of the donut, but was still a separate, it wasn't, it just, just didn't become one big round thing, but maintained its individuality. That would probably be close to a chinta beta, a beta type for simultaneously one with and different from. Now, of course, for us, that donut hole would have to be quite small because Krishna is huge and we are, very insignificant, <laughs> but that's the best I can do to take your uh, your uh, example and uh, put it in context of this verse. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
now you make me hungry and it's for donuts and it's a codice, so I can't have any. Because I think about it's coming from the same, it's coming from this dough, and then you have. Oh, your, I see. Yeah, it's coming from the dough. Know, it's it's like the same. It's coming from the same place, but then it's like, you know, it's made it's separate. separate. Oh yeah. Okay, I like that. I like that. Very good. Any other points? Okay, so the next verse, thereafter, Bali Maharaj was occupying the seat of King Hindu. So remember, right, they took over the demigods' place. Could see the lower planetary systems, such as the Satala, on the soles of the Lord, of the feet of the Lord's universal form. He saw the Lord's feet, he saw on the Lord's feet the, surf, the surface of the globe, on the surface of his calves, all the mountains, and on his, on his knees, the various birds, and on his thighs, the various air. So this is describing the universal form, which we studied way back in the second canto um, and third canto. <clears throat> but the, uh, it's not, it's not, it's, it's sometimes considered an imaginary form, but it's Lord's form in the material world. So it's not his spiritual form, but it's, it's a way of becoming in the early stages of God consciousness. Ali Maharaj saw beneath the garment of the Lord who acts wonderfully the, in, the evening twilight. In the Lord's private parts, he saw the prajapatis. In the round portion of the waist, he saw himself with his confidential associates. In the Lord's navel, he saw the sky. On the Lord's waist, he saw the seven oceans. And on the Lord's bosom, he saw all the clusters of stars. Oh, sorry, I should. Forgot to share. My dear king, on the heart of Lord Murari, he sought religion. So this is his vision of the universal form. On the chest, both pleasing words and truthfulness. In, in, the, in the mind, the moon. On the bosom, the goddess of fortune with a lotus flower in her hand. On the neck, all the Vedas and all sound vibrations are no sound vibrations. On the arms, all the demigods headed by King Indra. In both ears, all the directions. On the head, the upper planetary systems, on the hair, the clouds, in the nostril, the wind, on the eyes, the sun, and in the mouth, fire. From his words came the Vedic mantras. On his tongue was the demigod of water, Varunadev. On his eyebrows were the regulator principles, and on his eyelids were day and night. When his eyes were open, it was daytime, and when they were closed, it was night. On his forehead was anger, on his lips was greed, O king, in his touch was, was lusty desires. In his semen were all the waters. On his back were irreligion. In his wonderful activity, uh, and, in, and in his wonderful activities or steps was the fire of sacrifice. On his shadow was death. On his smile was the illusory energy. And on the hairs of his body were all the drugs and herbs. In his veins were all the rivers. On his nails were all the stones. In his intelligence with Lord Brahma, the demigods and the great saintly persons, and throughout his entire body, the senses were all living entities, moving and stationary. Bali Maharaj thus saw everything in the gigantic body of the Lord. O King, when all the demons followed by Bali Maharaj saw the universal form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who held everything within his body. And they, so this is, you know, he's, he's showing his universal form as he's taking these steps to 
you know, cover the entire universe, the first step. When they saw in the Lord's hand, his disc, known as Sudarshan Shana Chakra, which generates intolerable heat. And when they heard the tumultuous sound of his bow, all these caused lamentation within his, their hearts. The Lord Kanchal named Pranchajanya, were, were, which made sounds like that of a cloud. The very forceful club known as uh, Komudaki, the sword named Vidyadhara, and the shield decorated with hundreds of moon-like spots, and also Akshaya Shayaka, the best of quivers. All of these appeared together to offer prayers to the Lord. These associates, headed by Sunanda and other chief associates, and accompanied by all the predominating deities of the various planets, offered prayers to the Lord, who wore a brilliant helmet, bra bracelets, and glittering earrings that resembled fish. On the Lord's bosom with the lock of hair called Srivatsa and the transcendental jewel known, known as Koshtuba. He wore a yellow garment covered by a belt and he was decorated by a flower garland surrounded by these, manifesting himself in this way, O King, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, whose activities are wonderful, covered the entire surface of the earth with one footstep, the sky and his body and all directions with his arms. Dean, you have your hand up. Can't hear you yet. Sorry, yeah. Um, I, didn't, I, mean, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But... It's all right. Actually, well, oh, hold on. One, then just let me do one thing. I'll just, yeah, read, yeah, yeah. just read the last verse of this chapter. Mm -hmm. As the mm -hmm. Lord took his second step, he covered the heavenly planets. And not even a spot <laughs> remained for the third step. For the Lord's foot extended higher and higher beyond Maharloka, Janaloka, Tapaloka, and even Satyaloka. So he covered the entire universe in his two steps. Okay, go ahead, Dean. Um, prior to reading this verse, he mentioned that um, that the universal form uh, is actually material. That's a little bit contrary. Like, of course, the fam most famous example of the universal form, I think, is probably when... Uh, Krishna displays it to Arjuna right? Arjuna, right? And I remember very distinctly from that story, it, it's, it makes a very important point to note that prior to showing him this, he actually closed his, his material eyes. Right? And I took that to mean like he shuts down the, mater the material senses and opens this other almost like portal to, you know... Um, just things that we almost can't even perceive because we only have the, the, the frame of reference of our material senses. Uh, right. Maybe like an analogy uh, within the material world would be, uh, you know, um, if you're kind of interested in science and math and stuff like this, you'll, you'll hear people talk about uh, this shape called a tesseract. Right, which is in the you know four dimensional shape, and you'll even see little images people create to try to explain it. But they all mention we really can't understand what a tesseract looks like. This is just our best way of forming right. it because we're forming it still in a three dimensional world. Um, so I don't know if you have any thoughts of that. Like I, I really love that part of you know the Arjuna Krishna. Um, Right. explanation and, and i think for me I, I i also love it because it just encapsulate this notion that there's so much beyond our our, our world and, and it 
crushes science at a time that I, I don't even think the word science even even existed yet thousands and thousands of years ago it almost like like uh, what's that word uh, places an art uh, uh, counter science argument before it even existed you know so anyway if you could clarify it is a, a material the universal um, form yes of so let me um yeah so you're right. Let me. Um, this is from Buri John Prabhu's book on the Bhagavad Gita. Um, so this is the verse. Krishna says to Arjuna, but you cannot see me with your present eyes. Therefore, I give you divine eyes. Behold my mystic opulence. And then Arjuna starts to see the universal form. Okay. Chapter 11. So let's read what Buri Jampu says. Krishna uses the word divyam to describe the, quote, divine eyes or vision he will award Arjuna to enable him to behold his universal form. Srila Prabhupada further explains this in his purport to Srimad Bhagavatam 2.124. A pure devotee, quote, a pure devotee of the Lord being unaccustomed to looking into such a mundane, gigantic form of the Lord requires special vision for the purpose. The Lord therefore favored Arjuna with special vision for looking into his virat rupa, which means universal form, which is described in the 11th chapter of Bhagavad Gita. And then Burjan Prabhu continues, Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur poses and then answers the following question. Why should Arjuna, who directly perceives with his own eyes the sweetness of the Supreme Person, be unable to perceive a partial expansion of the Lord and need to receive divine eyes? Some explain this by saying that those most excellent, whoops, sorry, eyes which perceive the sweetness of the Supreme Person's human pastimes are exclusive in their scope of perception. They do not perceive the opulence of the Lord's God, God-like pastime. So in other words, you know, they're so absorbed in love for the person Krishna, they, they have, you know, they're not interested. After all, a tongue-tasting crystal sugar cannot simultaneously experience the taste of unrefined gur or sugar cane. So the crystal sugar is more as more intense. Um, in his purport, Srila Prabhupada showed this is purport to this verse in Bhagavad Gita. A pure devotee does not like to see Krishna in any form except his form with two hands. A devotee must see his universal form by his grace, not with the mind, but with spiritual eyes. To see the universal form of Krishna, Arjuna is told not to change his mind, but his vision. The universal form is not very important. The uh, universal form of Krishna is not very important. That will be clear in subsequent verses. Yet because Arjuna wanted to see it, the Lord gives him the, the particular vision required to see that universal form. Uh, devotees who are correctly situated in transcendental relationship with Krishna are attracted by loving features not by, and this is a quote from Prabhupada, a godless display of opulences. The playmates of Krishna and friends of Krishna and parents of Krishna never want Krishna to show his opulences. They are so immersed in pure love that they do not even know that Krishna is the supreme personality of God. In their loving exchange, they forget that Krishna is the supreme Lord. In the Srimad Bhagavatam is stated that the boys who played with Krishna are all highly pious souls. And after many, many births, they are able to play with Krishna. Such boys... Do not know that Krishna is the supreme personality of God. They take him as a personal friend. 
So the Prabhupada, he goes on like this. But the point being that, uh, yes, it, it, it's, 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 well, what's really interesting, I remember when I was in college, I did a book report comparing Prabhupada's Gita to someone else who wasn't a devotee's Gita. And I, I focused on this chapter because this chapter, the person who wasn't a devotee said, this is the culmination of the entire Bhagavad Gita. And Prabhupada is saying, eh, it's the universal form. <laughs> you know? So it is a, um, it just, go, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing though, Dean, uh, and it's not bad that you're, uh, find it really interesting that, that that chapter because elsewhere Prabhupada says that it's really great to understand the greatness of Krishna and that helps us understand um, it can bring us closer to loving him to not mistake him as just an ordinary boy something like that so um, so you know, yeah. and then if you read that chapter at the end Arjuna's like okay I, I I get it, Krishna. Thanks a lot. No more. Please return. It's almost back. like over. He's like almost overwhelmed. By it was it, right? totally overwhelming. Could you imagine? Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the what is the name of this new telescope? Yeah, I can't. James, I don't think. James Webb or James Webb. Yeah, yeah, James Webb. Yeah, and it's it's so much stronger than the Hubble telescope, right? And it's 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 mystifying the pictures it's sending back, right? They're just amazing. I mean, on one level. And they are, but if you showed me the pictures from that and the pictures from the Hubble, being an uneducated mind, I would just think they look the same. Yeah, kind of well, the same. To, to the untrained eye, I guess that's true. Yeah. But the point is that this is, you know, one little corner of one universe, and mm-hmm. Krishna's universal form is so because you know they'll come up with more. Uh, we, you know, human beings will come up with stronger telescopes that will be able to see further into the universe. Um, but Krishna is showing Arjuna the whole thing while he's sitting on the chariot in Kurukshetra. <laughs> so, yeah, it's quite amazing. It's quite amazing. Anything else on this? This. Okay, well, since we finished this chapter, we can end early. I mean, you know, it's only a few minutes early. Um, and we can uh, take up the next chapter, which will be um, very, very interesting. Let me just get the, uh, I, I lost, I, I was looking at something else on my computer, so I lost it. Uh, Bali Maharaj is arrested by the Lord. So that's what we get to look forward to next. So thank you very much. Thank have you. A, have a good week. Hare Krishna. Thank, thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.